Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, brother, it's good to be back uh, another week, and um, we're just going to keep rolling with some good topics. And, uh, you know, I actually, th- my weeks have gone by so fast. I don't remember what we did last week. What did we talk <laughs> about last week? <laughs> last week, uh, we, we talked about uh, sexual morality. Oh, uh, homosexuality. Right. That's right. We, we talked about that topic, especially leading into this past uh, Sunday, where both you and I stood together with our brothers in, in Canada to uphold uh, biblical sexual morality. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I read an article that uh, said over 4,000 churches in Canada um, stood in defiance of the government's new law. um, That's encouraging. Yeah, and and preached on God's truth. And so, you know, today's topic is really, I think, going to tie in very well uh, with last week's topic, even though I've forgotten what it was. Um, And... (laughs) And in part, because uh, we're going to be talking about this uh, in our church on Sunday a little bit, um, but, you know, in light of things like the Canadian government passing laws against, I mean, effectively, you can no longer preach parts of Scripture in Canada. Uh, it's illegal now. Um, and just as we think about uh, the, the persecution that not any longer in just in other parts of the world, but that we're seeing increasingly in the West— um, I think our topic today on how to think about and deal with persecution is a really good topic. Yeah, when I gave the message um, to to the church I'm at uh, Western Avenue, um, talking about uh, this topic and defending biblical sexual morality, I, I showed them what the Bill C four in Canada said and how it referred to uh, Christian beliefs as really being myth. Um, then talked about what's happening in West Lafayette, uh, Indiana, and the ordinance uh, thirty one twenty one that they're trying to uh, pass out there. It's either thirty one twenty one or twenty one thirty one. I can't remember which order. But then I also uh, look back um, in the state of California back in um, two thousand and twelve. They had actually passed a law, a similar law, but it was really. Um, it pertained to, quote unquote, mental health providers, which the, the church doesn't fall under uh, that category. So we're, we don't apply. But if you are a mental health provider, you are not allowed to um, do what's called conversion therapy, which uh, is really nothing more than just for Christians, just bringing the Bible in front of people and showing them what it says. Yeah. Um, but I, I do believe that uh, what we're seeing in Canada um, and, and what we're seeing here in the U.S., especially in Indiana, what we've seen, the laws passed already in California, New York, New Jersey with mental health providers, um, that, that's going to increase. And this is, um, this is where the, the, the society's golden calf is. It's sexual immorality. Yeah. And, yeah. and so persecution is going to come down the pipe that way. And it's going to be through um, the freedom that we have from the government to be able to say what the Bible says. And when they take away that freedom, we have to remember we're still free under God to speak those things, um, even if the government uh, doesn't give us freedom. But when that conflict happens, that's where persecution is going to, uh, going to really increase. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I did a little, bit, a little bit of research um, because you say California has some laws and some other states, and I discovered that actually 20 states in the U.S. have bans on minor 
conversion therapy, 20 states. And then another five states in the U.S. have partial bans uh, Mm -hmm. for minors uh, on conversion therapy. So, you know, so we have 25 states in the U.S. that have passed laws centered around conversion therapy. And so we are not as far behind Canada as we might think we are. Right. Um, Right. I mean, that's, you know, that's half of the U.S., right? And so, uh, yeah, and, and so we're talking about this, and then today, you know, we're and I think we're going to title this "Enduring Persecution in the Western Context," and I think you're right. It, it's going to um, come really centered around this issue first, probably the issue of sexuality, and I, I would argue that we're already seeing that in the church. Yeah. Um, and you know, as we get in a little bit, uh, maybe we can define persecution because I think that's always yeah. a big topic of debate, right. right? What is persecution? Well, actually, let's just go ahead and talk about it. Um, it you know, and so one of the first things someone might say would be, well, you know, uh, Pastor Eki. Uh, I, I know that there's a persecuted church in Libya. I know that there's a persecuted church in China and in yeah. Asia and Africa, mm-hmm. but we're not really persecuted here. We're not getting killed. Um, so how can you talk about being persecuted in the West? Yeah, per- persecution is not a binary switch. It's not not um, either on or off. It's not black or white. There are degrees of persecution. And when we look at churches that um, are in the Middle East, churches that are in China, for instance, um, absolutely, I would say that we have it easy. I mean, it's cake here compared to what believers are going through in other places of the world. But um, the passage that I think we're going to end up looking at, uh, Matthew chapter 5, 11, and 12, and I have other passages I'd like to go to as well, um, go to show that it's not just the physical persecution. It's not just the imprisonment and uh, the threat of, of taking away um, your, your life here on earth. Um, but it's really slander. It's insults. Um, you know, it's false accusations that are brought about. Um, the Bible includes all of that as types of persecution. So, basically, anytime uh, you, you have um, words being spoken against you, which um, are untrue or unjust. Um, you're being treated, even if it's not physically, but in, in a way where you're being portrayed wrongly. Um, that's uh, Those are forms of persecution where people are trying to raise up animosity against you. I would say those are forms of persecution. But again, it's degrees. Um, yeah. Is this, are we anywhere near what China goes through? Absolutely not. We, we're not there. And in fact, um, I would say that the level of persecution that the believers go through in a country like China has really done much to purify their faith. So, when you go underground there and you meet true believers, man, they are true believers, right? You you really don't have to second guess it. Um, Whereas here, um, I I don't know what a person believes just by saying that they're a Christian. Um, Do they they listen to Joel Osteen and and Stephen Furtick? Uh, Are they a red letter Christian? Are they the type of Christian that calls themselves that but never are in the word, never at church? never doing anything. You know, those are the kinds of things I just don't uh, d- don't know here. But when persecution comes, I think the line between true believers and, and those who are Christian in name only, it's going to become crystal clear because those who are Christians in name only are not going to want to endure what's going to come. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think, yeah, there'll come a time where um, we don't have now, but where to say you're a Christian will be costly. Um, and right now, you can be things like, quote unquote, a gay Christian, uh, a liberal Christian and, you know, fill in the blank, which really is no Christian at all, but it's still accepted. Um, we, we don't have quite the, 
stigma just on the word Christian yet um, that many other places do. And yet, we still have persecution um, in the Western world that we see increasing. Canada is probably one of the best, most recent um, examples of that. In fact, we did an episode about persecution in Canada, I think, uh, sometime back, at least we talked about it. Yeah, yeah, episodes. we did. Uh, back when James Coates uh, was first arrested and sent to jail. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people were saying, well, that's not real persecution, not real persecution. Well, now the country has adopted a law um, yeah. where it's now illegal. And so some of the same things we said back then, well, if you don't think this is persecution, when do you start saying it's persecution? So right. now that pastors could be imprisoned up to five years. Um, is it persecution now, or is it only when someone's throwing a hand grenade in your church? Um, and so, as you've rightly said, there are degrees of persecution. And when you go from a society that is or has been as free um, and and a Christian, a, a, a morality-based society, right, um, to the downgrade of that, to where now immorality is actually fundamentally the base of our society, uh, Mm -hmm. I I would argue, um, and things are kind of turning on their head, now we're seeing persecution in our own country like like we haven't seen. Um, You know, I know uh, lots of guys all over the country preached on biblical sexuality this past Sunday, and the fact that there were people afraid to show up to church because of potential protesters and things is evidence of, you know, persecution. well, you, you mentioned Matthew five eleven. Let me go ahead and read that. So this is the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, before uh, you do, before you read that, let me let me point this out because you you brought up something that I think is good for our audience to hear. Um, many churches, thousands of churches um, in Canada and the U.S. stood together this past Sunday to make a stand for biblical sexual morality. And both of us are small town pastors. Um, your context is much more intense than mine. So, you actually had um, protesters and, and people who were making threats against the church to the point where some people were afraid to come. And uh, for me, I was very fortunate uh, that we didn't have any of that kind of um, um, demonstration outside, any threats made against the church. And, and yet, we had um, this uh, uh, one elderly couple that had um, that came to our church for the second time, and afterwards, um, after the message w- was done, um, the um, lady told me she she said, "Why is it that churches are not talking about this?" And that right there goes goes to show where the pressure is, um, because if this is a message that the world readily accepts or they're kind of neutral towards, then I think all churches would be preaching about this. Um, but uh, because th- this is where the pressure is at, this is this is where um, churches have compromised quite a bit, and this is where a lot of people are afraid to say anything because of the threat of persecution. They know if they say something, um, there could be uh, negative things said about their church circulating through the community. They're putting the spotlight on themselves, um, all those kinds of things. So so the the, the pressure that a lot of churches have um, endured just to say this message, and just the fact that I had a number of people that afterwards um, said, I'm so glad that you were bold enough to say that, goes to show that they understand the pressure in this world um, on this exact issue. And, and that's why we have to stand firm on it, because this is where the attack is coming in. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, we were fortunate. Uh, none of the supposed processors actually showed up. Um, I guess there's some benefit to being in Alaska when it's, you know, 20 degrees. Outside <laughs> That's right. Early in the morning. Um, but, you know, we did, we did have that threat. Uh, we, we had folks that tried to gather together and get us kicked out of the building we rent uh, by way of calling and complaining. And, you know, I, I but I just, I, you know, and I think of, you know, the, the pastors in Canada, you know, they preached at risk of going to jail right. um, on Sunday. And that's the Western world. And I think yeah. of all up to five other, years. Yeah, yeah. The threat is up to five years going to Which jail. Which is insane. And yeah. you think of all the other small town churches that we won't hear about, don't know about that, um, you know, pastors got up preaching, not knowing what would happen uh, because yeah. there were very real threats. And so to say there's no persecution is I, at best, it's I, I think it's blind to what's going on in, in the society, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so in light of that, I think one of the things that, uh, you know, the, the church would do good to do, and I know lots of guys are, is start preparing Western Christians um, to know what it means to face persecution and how to look to Christ and yeah. uh, to, to gather courage and strength. And of course, the place we get all of that is scripture, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the New Testament was written in all, all of it was written in a time of persecution and um, the persecution they endured, again, nothing like what we have here in the West. And yet you still find um well, we'll get into some of the languages, uh, the language talking about how we're supposed to have joy in the midst of persecution. This is, right. mm -hmm. you know, just think you, you have an emperor that's burning Christians uh, yeah. as as candles, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and you have the apostles saying, count it all joy that you're being persecuted. And so mm -hmm. um, how much more should we be able to find that peace and comfort um, or encourage in the midst of what we're facing. And if we do it now, when it's easier, as things get harder, we'll be ready to endure yeah. and we'll be less tempted uh, to deny the faith in those moments, right? Right. Uh, right. When it comes. So Matthew 5, 11, uh, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So this is Jesus speaking, right? Yeah. Such and, and such incredible language. He's preparing the disciples for what's to come. Um, he's saying that it's nothing new. It's something that uh, all of God's men have endured, you know, in past times. And um, yeah, I thought we'd just kind of go through this and, and think through some of the language uh, because in our context, it, it's helpful to ask how we see some of these things, I think. Because again, most people hear persecution and they think, um, it, you know, the government's coming in and torturing you or people are throwing grenades in the church. Um, but, you know, that's not the language here. Blessed are you when people insult you and yeah. persecute you, right? And insult, well, we understand what that means to rail at someone, to chide, to revile, to reproach. Yeah. Um, that's a form of hatred and persecution. Now that we certainly get, uh, yes. and, and we're yeah. accustomed to that, right? Yeah, hateful language, um, uh, vulgarities kind of thrown at us, um, and even on. We even see this on Twitter, on social media. Um, various people come in and say things to us based upon our faith or, or our beliefs. Um, so yeah, insults. Um, if you're a Christian, if if you're a Christian, one one of the 
Um, I think one of the proofs um, that that you're really walking in the faith is whether you've actually endured any kind of insults uh, for what you believe. Um, if you haven't, it's probably because you're not really standing for what the Bible says. Because if you do, people are going to hate you for it, even when and and you should even when you share it with uh, with love and gentleness and and reverence uh, which which we absolutely should do they'll they'll still insult you but yeah th- this is the most common form um no one can deny that this is happening this is all around us uh, we see this even in the uh, mainstream media we we see this uh, in very common places that you wouldn't expect to see it and uh, and even when I, I remember back when um Barack Obama I can't remember if it was while he was um, running for president or after he became president, he talked about how some small towns, they're all about their their Bibles and their guns or something like that. And, and he, he said it as a derogatory remark. And that's really an insult. You know, when when Canada puts out that Bill C-4 and they refer to um, the beliefs in, in a two gender world as being myth, um, yeah, that, that's that's an insult. It's a form of insult um, and, and falsehood. So everyone um, should be able to affirm that this is happening. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and so Jesus starts off here saying, blessed are you when people do this, right? Now, we understand this this isn't uh, when people insult you because you're a jerk, um, you know, or (laughs) you're antagonistic purposefully. But when people insult you because you're best you can proclaiming the truths of God in a loving way or are not standing down from those truths, you know, he says we're actually blessed in that. Um, you know, carry on when people insult you and persecute you, right? And so we talked about persecution coming in many different forms. Um, I, I kind of thought a good illustration might be if we think back to Nazi Germany. Now, I, I don't want to make an emotional appeal here, um, but what I want to appeal to is the fact that way before uh, the Jews were persecuted by way of death, they were actually persecuted by way of ostracizing them from society, yeah, right? Um, it, it was slow. It was methodical. Um, the star, right? That was a form of persecution. No one was being killed yet. No. And none of us would look back in history and say that wasn't persecution. And yet we do that in our own culture, right? We'll say, right. well, unless you're being murdered, it's not persecution. Um, but we see in our society now kind of a general tone of the positions Christians take, we hear it kind of couched in language like being anti-science. Now, forget yeah. about the positions on vaccines, mass, but that's included in other things that we believe like genders, yeah. right? Um, and, and so, we're, we're made to be different than the rest of society, that kind of language. So, just ostracizing and separating Christians Making them abnormal from everyone else is a form of persecution, and we're seeing more and more of that in our political sphere. Um, we're seeing a lot of it definitely from the LGBTQ community uh, and, and their allies and things like that. And so, absolutely, that's one form of persecution that we deal with here, and um, it, 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 no one that's had to deal with that personally would deny that it's persecution. Right. When you start getting people um, sharing things about you on social media and it goes around or you get confronted in your community because you believe something, then you feel right attacked. Um, But if we just think about the history of how people have been persecuted, it often starts with smaller things like just making them to be the pariah of society. 
Yeah. Uh, right. And so we've had that for some time, I think, but it's definitely increasing. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree. And and you're right. Um, and uh, I don't want to make this political about the vaccine or anything like that, but we are seeing it, uh, for instance, with uh, in a secular sense, how the government is treating the unvaxxed. We know in Canada, Justin Trudeau said we're going to we're going to start treating them as non-citizens. And there's a push in in, uh, in America to do the same thing. But similarly, there's going to be a push against churches uh, that hold to two genders. And I remember the seeing the um, educational curriculum for the state of California, the public schools, where one of the things that teaches children is that if you come across any religious institution that teaches that there are only two genders, that religious institution is guilty of spiritual abuse. Now, those are strong words. If you think about yeah. spiritual abuse, that that's the kind of words that you know, you would expect to use that against a pedophile or something like that, but it's it's describing any church that holds to what the Bible says about how God created man. He created them male and female. And so, yeah, it is on the increase. It's going to continue to be on the increase. And it's not, you know, this is not something that's going to, to go down. And when you look at the history of the church, um, the, the church has um, prospered in different areas of the world at different times, but there's always a, a decline. And the decline could, could be because of just uh, lackadaisical faith, um, but it could also be an increase of, of persecution um, to, to really try to eradicate the, the people uh, of faith from that area. So, you go to Jerusalem, where obviously um, the first sermon was preached and the church began, and you're not going to find um, a strong presence of, of Christian belief there. You go to, uh, you, you go to the rest of uh, the, uh, the Roman Empire, you go to Greece and, and those areas, um, you're not going to find true Christian belief there. You go to Europe, where the Reformation uh, really took off in the 1500s, and Germany, especially, where Martin Luther nailed the, uh, the, nailed the 95 Theses. Um, Germany is known as the most atheistic country in all of Europe. You know, so so we've had these ebbs and flows. England's another great example, and now the U.S. We're we're kind of on the decline. Um, but as we're on the decline, um, we as the church has have to be ready to not only accept it but to continue shining the light for Christ brightly during it. And even in the Middle East, Afghanistan during the pullout, we had heard stories of churches um, that uh, were essentially executed. Um, during that time in the aftermath following that. These were churches that in the kind of the 10 to 20 years, I can't remember exactly the number of years, but I think it was about 20 years of peace, uh, relative peace during the occupation. Uh, churches were allowed to to grow and and uh, and the gospel was shared. And <clears throat> the moment we pulled out, uh, those churches that were growing were suddenly persecuted. But if they went down holding to Christ, holding their, their faith to Christ, God was glorified. So, regardless of how it's going to end here, we, we glorify God by our stand. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, and those are those are good points that we need to recognize this uh, because as things get more tense, I, I mean, just look over the last couple of years, we see um, w- with the intensity of things in the workplace, right? The, the social justice stuff, which is always includes um, a defiance of uh, some core Christian beliefs, right? It's always supportive of the LGBTQ stuff. And so um, y- you've got guys who are now confronted with whether or not they're going to be able to continue providing for their family, yeah. um, right? And so we see this on the increase, and it's foolish to think it's going to subside. It's only going to increase, right? 
Um, mm. Governments rarely ever give back new power uh, that they've taken. And everyone only drifts in one direction, and that's towards further immorality and decay. Right. Um, I think the sexual revolution in our country is evidence of God's wrath. We see that kind of in Scripture uh, being an evidence of, of that, people being turned over to their depravity. Uh, but Christians have a, a job to do. Right. Um, we often say these almost kind of cliche sayings, you know, the light shines brighter as the dark gets darker and things mm-hmm. like that. But it's very true. Um, you know, I grew up in the South in the Bible Belt, and uh, I know lots of guys have their opinions about the Bible Belt, but I can tell you that uh, I didn't get shared the gospel until I was almost in university. Um, because mm. everyone just thinks everyone's a Christian wow. in the Bible Belt. But we're quickly not living in those times anymore. It's becoming quite clear who is and isn't a Christian. Um, and so we need to be purposed to share the gospel with people. And that's going to include calling people to repentance. And that is the very message our world does not want to hear today. Um, right? The world is promoting a message in schools, in the workforce, yeah. Um, in all of society that says, you do you, um, your truth is an okay truth, uh, as long as it's in line with the general narrative, which is wholly centered around, if we're honest, feminism and, and sexual immorality, yeah. right? Um, and so, well, we continue on in our passage, and so it talks about when people insult you, when they persecute you, but then it goes on to say that people will falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Um, that's an interesting one. In fact, I've, I've seen, uh, we've seen a lot of that. One example might be when, you know, people accuse you of spiritual bu- abuse, like you've just yeah. stated. Mm-hmm. That's a scary thing when your name gets attached to it, right? Um, yeah, exactly. So, this is basically libel or slander, um, uh, false uh, accusations, uh, false statements about a person. And uh, recently on Twitter, when we were talking about, um, you know, not platforming sexual abuse victims, um, that that was a, a very well-received um, episode. But there were certain people that re- responded very strongly against that. And because we were trying to make the point that you don't want to take um, those who have been victims of, of sexual abuse, and, and while they're still in the recovery process and not seeing rightly the, the sovereignty of God and everything and the goodness of God and, and everything, that they're, they're going to say things that are, are not biblical. And th- there were accusations that came our way that, oh, we, we are, you know, sexual uh, abusers ourselves and we're covering up for others who are guilty of sexual abuse and all that kinds of stuff. And, and that, those are the kinds of examples uh, of false accusations uh, that, that are made when you stand up for the truth. And, and so this is this is normal, and and I notice um, it's not just there, but in many other arenas, and we see it. It's very easy to see on social media where people will assume all kinds of things about you just because you don't agree with them on an issue, and and they won't, you know, when they assume it, they assume it as fact. They they they'll, they'll make arguments already presuming that uh, that you do this or you do that or you defend these kinds of people, and and that's that's what happens when you don't go along with the worldly narrative. The, the world hates God. The, the yeah. world, the world, Romans 1.18 tells us that man in his nature suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. Um, that is the nature of the world. And so, when the truth comes out, they're going to try to suppress it. And uh, typically is the case, you, you know, when you see, uh, when you're trying to, when, when you're hearing various narratives, you're hearing various storylines, um, trying to figure out which one is the truth, uh, look for the one that's getting censored. Look for the one that's getting squashed by everyone else. 
there's a pretty good chance that that's, that's the one that's actually speaking the truth because people don't like the truth. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, another, uh, another just illustration of that kind of thing being lied about is, it, it, you know, pastors all over the country, you know, as folks stood up against um, sexual immorality this week, you often hear things anytime that topic comes up, things like, well, you're the reason um, young homosexual kids are committing suicide. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's, yeah. that, that's a horrible thing to say. Yes. Right. Yes. So if you stand against LGBTQ, now all of a sudden you're the reason uh, some 11 year old boy commits suicide. Um, th- that's LGBTQ. And those things can be so um, intense and personal that we can be tempted to shrink back and avoid those conversations or that biblical truth. Because, I mean, let's be honest, nobody wants to be accused of. Uh, being the cause of someone committing suicide. Now, I'll be quick to say that ultimately, no one is the cause of some person taking their own life. There are all kind of dynamics in that. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you can't blame an outside individual um, wholly for that stuff. And there may be things that, con- that contribute to that. But since I brought the topic up, um, we have to understand that when you choose, well, first of all, for a child to come out and decide that they're homosexual means an adult um, who is ingrained in perversion has put that into the mind of that child. Right. And that genuinely is abuse. Yeah. Um, it, 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 because no eight, no five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old is, they, they don't even know what homosexuality is. They don't, they're not even thinking about sexuality. Unless it's being presented to them, right? Um, And so we have that dynamic. Uh, But that is a scary thing to be accused of, right? Um, And and so we would understand the weight of that. But if you know that's coming, right? And and Christ says that all kinds of evil, not just things that are unpleasant, but evil will be said against you because of me. And then I, I love the start of verse 12, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Here is the Christian response to being slandered, to being lied about, to being insulted, to being persecuted, whatever level that is. The Christian response is rejoice and be glad. How how do we get there? That's not um, that that, that's not the that that makes no sense to the world. Um, That's not the common worldly response. And even for um, immature Christians in the faith, that's not going to be their natural response. And even for mature Christians, we're going to we're going to battle against this. Um, The the only way you can rejoice um, is to remember what follows it. it says rejoice and be glad. Why says for and that for is about to explain why for your reward in heaven is great. Um, There is a saying that uh, you are so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good, but the Bible knows nothing of that. Uh, The Bible constantly calls us to remember what's coming in the future, um, that there is an eternal state, um, that Jesus is preparing a place for us and he's going to come back for us. So rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward in heaven is great. And in the areas of scripture, at least all the common ones I typically go to, where it talks about rejoicing um, because of trials, there is going to be in there um, a very strong element uh, of the reward that's coming in the future, that we know that something is better, better is coming in the future. And Jesus Christ 
being our example, um, he did not live an easy life here. Um, he yeah. lived a very yeah. hard life. And the disciples who came after him um, lived a very hard life. Um, after Judas was was killed, then, then you have the other 11 disciples of the 11. Ten of them were martyred. Um, the, the, the 12th one ended up ending his life um, in a prison in Patmos um, off of the mainland uh, coast of, of Greece. So we've got, um, we've got these examples in front of us that shows us that, that li- this life is going to be difficult. And the only way, the only way, so the, the saying that you can be of no earthly, you're so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. I would say the only way you could be of any earthly good is to actually be heavenly minded. Yeah. Um, so this is where you rejoice because you recognize that God is with you. God is glorified. And there will come a time where you will be, you're going to actually see the heavenly reward for that. And, you know, a lot of Christians, when we talk about rewards in heaven, they'll some say, well, I don't want to think about that. Um, you know, it's, it, it's almost a kind of a pious position to take. I don't want to think about that. I'm just going to be happy that I'm going to be there. I totally, I, I totally understand that. And, uh, and, and I, I understand the joy of just knowing that you're going to be in heaven. But the Bible says a lot about rewards, and it's right here in front of us, right there in verse 12, that your reward in heaven is great. Um, so if the Bible um, is trying to encourage us with rewards in heaven, we ought to look forward to rewards in heaven. And so that's why we re- rejoice and, and uh, we be filled with gladness. Yeah, it's a really it, it's a good point. We if we minimize the fact that we will be rewarded in heaven, what we actually do is minimize the hope that God has given us to live life in here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, because this is what this passage is. I mean, it's saying rejoice because your reward in heaven is great. And the context is dealing with persecution here on earth. Yeah. And so, in order to help you deal with persecution here, Jesus is saying rejoice and have joy knowing that you have a reward in heaven. Yeah. Um, and, so, and, and so, these are verses that we should be memorizing in, in which, we, you know, um, if you want to know how to start training and renewing your mind, how to gain courage from God um, in those times when persecution comes, well, one way, and I would say maybe even the prominent way, would be start memorizing some of these key verses that talk to us about persecution, that prepare yeah. us, um, that help us train our minds on heavenly things because we're still human. And so, yeah, when you're being attacked, if you're dealing with protesters, if you uh, are at risk of losing your job, you're going to have you know a plethora of um, worldly fallen thoughts and things that you have to combat and and the way we combat those things is with the word of god by you know uh reciting them to ourselves write them on an index card you yeah. know put them in your wallet um and just constantly be washing your mind with what god's word is telling us because jesus was preparing us for this right yeah. Yeah. um he was preparing the early church uh for for this and so um yeah Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way. And so here he's going uh, again, just to reiterate, for in the same way, they, they being the world, persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so he's just reiterating the fact that this is what's normal for the people of God. This is what we should expect, right? We shouldn't be caught off guard. Um, Those who have hated God and his word have always persecuted his people. Yeah. You, you know, one of the hardest experiences to go through in this life is to go through a trial 
with the thought that no one else has gone through it before. Mm. And I think what the end of this verse really helps to show us is that we're not alone, yeah. and we're not alone in history. We have many such examples before us. And at this time, at Jesus' time, Jesus had not yet gone to the cross. Obviously, when he gave this message, the disciples had not yet um, done their work in starting the church and being persecuted for the church. Um, but at this point in time, Jesus points back, says, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, they're going to persecute you. And remember, they did the same thing to the prophets. And it was well known to the Jewish audience. And, and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would have been speaking to a, a dominant Jewish audience. Um, they would have understood that in the Old Testament, and especially from the time of the divided kingdom um, all the way to the uh, the end of the Old Testament history, um, all the major prophets uh, were killed except for one. And the one exception was Elijah, and he was taken up in a chariot of fire. Um, and even Matthew chapter 23, um, for those of you who are listening, you want to go there, that's uh, that's the seven or eight woes to scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. And the final one talks about how, oh, you decorate the tombs of the prophets. And and, and you say, oh, if we lived in that time, we would not have um, participated in the bloodshed. And yet they did the exact same thing to Jesus Christ. And so this is just to show that the evil of mankind that is set against the truth of God, even in the Old Testament, Israel, who are God's people. And, and let me just reiterate that um, what we see with Israel is true for all of us if we were in that position. Israel's sins seen in the Old Testament is really just representative of all of our sins if we were put into that same position. So even the people of God hated God so much that they killed uh, the, the messengers who were sent there to um, call them to, to repent. So we, we see here, we, we have a legacy of other martyrs and, and witnesses who are willing to be persecuted for the faith. And of course, we have Jesus Christ, and we have the apostles and the disciples that came after that. And we've got people all throughout church history. You know, you can look through the Reformation and various other um, periods of church history to, to see examples of faithful believers who are willing to, to, to really be persecuted and, and even to die for the faith. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think of, uh, just as you were uh, speaking, I'm thinking of, you know, the guys who were discipled by the apostles. You think of um, Polycarp, for instance, yeah. right, who I think is purportedly uh, discipled by John. Um, and, it, you know, we know Polycarp's history. I mean, he, he was thrown into the arena, right, um, to be devoured by wild animals. And that was that was common. And you see these guys, um, you, you can go read his response, uh, right? It's quite bold, actually. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I find nothing, for instance, in Polycarp's life that was looking for that, right? He didn't seem to be a contentious guy to me in, in the stuff I've read about him in his letters. Um, but what he was concerned about was the, the gospel and the truth of God um, and promoting that and, and seeing people saved. And that cost him his life ultimately. And so now yeah. here we are, um, you know, thousands of years later, a couple thousand years later, and nothing's really changed. You know, in a great majority of the world, Christians still face death uh, for their faith. And if not death, then just horrible, uh, horrible tortures and persecutions and unspeakable things. Um, and now in the Western world, we're just fo following the suit of every society before us no. really right and so um we're in the new phase you know our generation is kind of in the middle of this shift where we've had extraordinary freedoms even mm -hmm. in the midst of disagreements and things like that but now we're starting to see those freedoms genuinely eroding um and it's starting with just our 
how society views us as Christians. It's okay to, you know, picket and say hateful things to Christians, right? Um, yeah. it, just the general degradation of society and its morality, I think, is indicative of where we're going. And so we take great comfort in passages like this where Jesus says, look, be prepared, take joy because you have um, a reward in heaven and understand that this is uh, the that you're not alone in persecution, no. right? No. You're, you're with countless millions of others. And even today, uh, right? I mean, we think th- this is why I think it, one of the reasons it was such a big deal that pastors in the U.S. preached alongside the pastors in Canada. Yeah. If for no other reason, to bring them a comfort in knowing that there are other brothers and sisters who know what they're facing and are standing with them, although we have no impact on the consequences that they may endure, just to know that they're, they have people across the border who are praying for them, standing with them, and have the same faith and belief that they do. That's a comfort, right? Um, yeah, and, that, and that's real comfort. Um, I mean, we we know from our relationships with them that um, they that some of them were pulling together all the sermons that were preached in America on that day and putting them yeah. into one article to share with others. Um, had other Canadian pastors already thanking me for the message that I gave this past Sunday. Um, so that that's real comfort that they get, even if it doesn't have any um, outward impact upon their own situation there. Just know that there are other uh, brothers standing together ready to face the same kind of threat that they're facing right now, if, she, if it should come to that. Yeah. And so, you know, as an American, um, if you are experiencing those things in your workplace, um, if guys are, you know, speaking ill of your church or your pastor, you're not alone. Uh, take courage. Don't be afraid. Don't back up from church. You know, don't stop being faithful um, because these things will come because there's no way to get around them. Right. Um, which leads me to uh, maybe the next question. Well, um, it, maybe if we were there, there's an idea that if we're kind enough, if we're gentle enough, if we yeah. are wise enough, um, maybe the world won't hate us so much. Right. Maybe we can prolong this. And on the surface, that sounds like maybe it could be a good idea, except when you consider Christ himself. Right. Was Christ not the perfect man? Was he not perfect in every way? He was sinless, right? Yeah. Which means that um, Christ defines gentleness. Christ defines humility. Christ defines what it means to uh, be bold and yet be loving. And what we see is that rather than the world maybe even just tolerating him, they killed him. Right, and and so there will never be a time where we can be loving um, to the point where the the world will agree with us, unless we start defining love the way the world defines love. Right, right, yeah. That that kind of um, thinking that if um, if we change our approach or we change our tone, that it's going to be accepted. No, no. The truth is hated no matter what. Um, now, we are called to share it with gentleness and reverence. First um, Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. So we always have to be gentle. We always have to be reverent. Um, if you end up being a jerk, 
Well, you're the reason why they are responding the way they're responding. But if you're gentle and, and reverent and they still respond harshly, well, their issue now is not with you, it's with God. You know, and, and for Peter here, and, and we had mentioned uh, the, the context of this um, earlier during a time where Nero was uh, persecuting Christians in Rome, impaling them, setting them on fire, all those kinds of things. Um, Peter is saying, sanctify, set apart, treat as holy, Christ as Lord in your hearts. How? Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope, for the hope. When things are going well, people actually don't see your hope. They don't, um, because everyone can be positive, everyone can be happy, everyone can be joyous when things are going well. The question is, when things are not going well, how are you going to respond? Because if you have a real hope in Christ, and it's earlier in uh, chapter 1, same letter, First Peter, um, I was in chapter 3, but if I go back to chapter 1, First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action, Be keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely Okay, completely on the grace, and we know grace means unmerited favor. So this is the unmerited favor to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we know that that's describing the second coming of Christ. So in other words, Peter is saying that not only must you prepare your minds for action, not only must you keep sober in spirit, but you have to fix your hope, not just partially, um, not halfway, not mostly, but you need to fix your hope completely on that grace that will be given to you when Jesus Christ returns. That's having that heavenly mindset. That's looking forward to the future. But as we have to be prepared to give a defense for that hope, it means that even when we're going through difficult times, there are threats of um, trials and tribulations and persecution and, and people uttering all kinds of vile things against us, that people still see in us hope mixed with gentleness and reverence. Um, that goes to show right there that the attack will continue. Um, but yeah, it will continue. And Jesus Christ, to your point, the perfect man in every way. Um, he called out sin when he needed to call out sin. He was gentle. He was kind. He was meek. He was loving. He told everyone exactly what they needed to hear. Um, some repented, some did not. Um, and, and so we understand that from his example. And even in John chapter 15, verse 18, what does he say? He says, if the world hates you, know that it first hated me. And by the way, the chapters, uh, let me just go on a little bit of a tangent here. Chapters 14, 15, and 16 in the book of John, um, that's uh, Jesus' discourse to his disciples in the upper room. Okay, that, those are three very, very important chapters. Because if, if you read those chapters in its entirety, you will see that that is Jesus' detailed um, instructions behind the Great Commission. Mm. He, he is preparing yeah. them for the Great Commission. And, and what is it that he says at the very end of John chapter 16, because in John chapter 17, he goes into his high priestly prayer, and then chapter 18, he's arrested. But at the end of chapter 16, he said, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So you're going to, they're, they're going to hate you because you're not one of their own. They're going to have tribulation. They're going to, they're going to persecute you. They're going to kill you for, for my name's sake, but take courage. And it requires that, once again, that eternal mindset, that hope that is fixed upon eternity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you brought up the, the, the that John passage is John 15, 18, 17, 15, 18. 18. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, if you know, if you look at that passage, I, I mean, that tells you, again, I mean, God was so gracious in preparing us for what the world's response 
would be no. like towards us, right? If we read it and we take it to heart, I think we have, in again, it's God's grace, but we've been very sheltered from that for a long time in this country. Um, but, but that's quickly fading, right? Um, and so we look at these passages and, you know, again, this is Jesus saying, the world hated you and it hated me before it hated you, right? And the mm-hmm. reason is because you're different, Right, you you're set apart. Um, you're not of the world, and that's why they hate you, right? Um, and and so yes, you can be a jerk, and they can hate you because of that. Um, and you read some of those passages. We have the fruit of the spirit, right? You can read that. Colossians three speaks to our character as well, uh, put on, putting on a heart of compassion and humility and kindness, and we can define those things. Um, but none of those characteristics uh, would mean we shrink back from calling the sinner to repentance. In fact, the moment we stop that, we are no longer truly loving our neighbor. We're really no longer loving yes. the world. Right, right. Right. I mean, I mean in fact, it, it, it would be a self-preservation, a willingness to let those in the world go to hell for the sake of our own comfort. And I think we think about that often. Um, but the, the moment that we uh, become so afraid of our reputation um, or the slander that the world may bring against us, the moment that that becomes um, big enough or more important enough that we stop calling the sinner to repentance is the moment that we choose our self-preservation over their potential salvation. Um, and, and we need to think that way. Um, right, you, the sinner has to. I mean, we've developed in the church this kind of easy believism where um, you, you walk down the aisle, you say, "Yeah, I want Jesus to make my life wonderful and great and give me everything I want." So, yes, I'm a Christian now, but that's not the gospel. Um, no. You know, a person has to understand the weight and the deserved punishment of their sin, so that they can understand their need for a savior. And so, when we say things like, look, homosexuality is an abomination before the Lord, it was um, such a perversion that in the Levitical laws, it, it, the penalty was death, and it was rightly deserved. And, and they have to understand the weight of that. And then, you know, you, we, we understand that, it, you know, Paul says, but such were some of you liars and adulterers and fornicators and homosexuals, but you were washed, he says, but you were justified, but you were made new. And so there's hope, but you can't leave out the calling of repentance. Um, if you do, they may come to somebody named Jesus, but it won't be trusting in the one who will cleanse them and renew them and justify them because they won't think they need that. Yeah, the whole thing about loving your neighbor, and and that's been abused quite a bit, especially over the last couple of years. Um, People are using loving their their neighbor really as a a way of saying, love them the way they want to be loved. Yeah. Well, it says, uh, first, you love the Lord your God, and and you can't love the Lord your God unless you're actually in the household of God. So, unless you're actually, you have a regenerated heart, you have a new spirit. And then, second, love your neighbor as yourself. That's from the mindset of someone who's been made regenerate. Yeah. 
someone who has been saved by God. And, and what we want for our neighbor, the way we want to love our neighbors, the same way that God would want to love them. And that's essentially sharing the gospel. It's the most loving thing that you can possibly do. Now, there may be various ways to get there. You know, you yeah. befriend them, get to know them, invite them over for dinner, you know, do, do favors for them, whatever it may be. But ultimately, you want to get to that point where you're sharing Christ with them. And when you share Christ, you can't compromise on what the truth is. Because if you start to compromise on, for instance, their sexual decisions, um, let's say it's not even homosexuality. Let's say they're they're uh, they're fornicators and adulterers, or they're you know they're living with their girlfriend and whatnot. If we overlook those things, there there's an aspect of holiness that they miss out on completely. That there's there's an aspect of repentance that they miss out on completely. And and if we compromise on that in the scriptures, then we're teaching them that they don't have to believe everything they they read in the scriptures. And and also if we're not true to the scriptures. There's no power in our proclamation because the Holy Spirit is not going to bless that which we bring forth. But as we have been mentioning, and this is very true, I said this um, to my church, and, and when I say my church, I don't mean the church that belongs to me, the church that I belong to, all right? So, the the, the church that I'm at, my, my church, um, I, I, I told them this. I said, look, you know, the homosexual community, the LGBTQ community, they are not the enemy, okay? Our, our yeah. struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's it's essentially against the demonic realm. Now, so what about these people who are caught up in these sins? They're being used as tools. They're being used as tools by the enemy. They're they're lost in these sins. And and just as Ephesians two two says that all of us followed after the course of this world, after the prince of the power of the air. That's what they're lost in. And and the greatest love that we can sh- show them is to be able to share the gospel with them. And and just going back once again to that First Peter three fifteen. I read verse fifteen, but I neglected to read verses sixteen and seventeen. I think this is very important. So. 15, once again, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And verse 16 goes to say this, and keep a good conscience. Okay, what does that mean? That, that means you're, you're living a life that is faithful to God. Keep a good conscience so that in the things in which you are slandered, in other words, falsely accused, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. And verse 17, for it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than doing what is wrong. Because if you do what is wrong, then whatever persecution you get, you deserved it. But if you do what is right, then whatever persecution you get, guess what? That's going to translate to a heavenly reward. Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. And and we've got to remember that. I, I mean, the focus has to be um, on the fact that, you know, this is what we're called to do, to make disciples. Yeah. And to make disciples, you've got to preach the gospel. Um, however it is, you get there, uh, but we can't shrink back from that because of the risk of persecution, personal persecution, your church persecution. Um, a, a, as we continue to see laws passed here in the U.S., you know, um, they'll be defining moments probably, I mean, you know, in mine and your lifetime, Eki, there'll probably be some major laws passed before we pass yeah. if we live a long life um, that will cause us, like Canada, to have to stand up and maybe preach illegally. It's coming, right? And, and I don't think we're too far from there. And so, these are the things that we need to think about. Um, it, you know, it, we 
are meant to proclaim the gospel. And so we understand that's going to cause persecution. We do it with a right heart. We do it because we want to see God save souls. And yes, God's sovereign over that, but he uses means primarily his people proclaiming the gospel, right? Um, And so we've got to be faithful to to that, and we trust God with the results. um, And it may... You know, we may experience persecution, and when we do, rather than shrink back, we go to these passages like Matthew five eleven through twelve. Memorize that. We go to John fifteen eighteen through twenty. You're in good company. You can't be any better, uh, any more righteous of a person than Jesus was, right? Uh, humanly speaking. Um, and so, don't expect to win the world's favor when Jesus clearly says. The world's going to hate you. Remember that they hated me first, and the reason they hate you is because you're not of the world. And, you know, you brought up Ephesians 2, um, you know, Ephesians uh, 2, 1 through 3 talks about our position before we came to Christ, which is the world's current position. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were children of wrath, following after the prince of the power of the air. You know, you mentioned that verse. And so, these are the people that we want to see (laughs) snatched from the pit of hell, as it were. Um, and, And if we're so concerned about uh, the persecution we'll experience and saving ourselves, then we won't be concerned about their eternal state. Um, And so we need to think rightly about that. But the time to start training yourself um, to endure persecution is now. Um, You know, it was maybe 30 years ago, but it's now, right? And so start memorizing these verses, trusting Christ and being faithful. And you made a really good point. I think politics um, it really does a disservice in a lot of ways. And one of the ways is in an effort uh, to align with those things that Christians could align with policy-wise, we, we often get trapped in demonizing people groups also, yeah. uh, the, and like the LGBTQ community. Um, th- those are people who, again, to use the words of Paul, such were some of you, yeah. liars, fornicators, homosexuals, and he names that specifically in that passage. Um, those are the people God saves, right? Sinners. And, and regardless Amen. of what the sin is, um, we talk about homosexuality because our society has made it different, right? Yeah. And so we have to also pick it out to address it. Um, but God saves the adulterer and he saves the murderer, Paul, right? Yeah. Um, and he saves the homosexual. And so, these are people that uh, we want to get in front of. We want to share the gospel. We want to deal with those issues. And we do it knowing that they're going, some are going to hate us. Um, Some are going to want to persecute us. Some may call our jobs and try to get us fired or, you know, uh, our church closed down or whatever it is. But Jesus says, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. And so we just keep coming back to that. Um, I, I, I want to, the, the last thing I'm going to say, I, I want to end with Joshua 1.9. Now, we understand this in context, but this is true um, because of the promise to Joshua. He says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be terrified nor dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And the Lord our God is with us wherever we go. And so, therefore, that is true for us, too, that we can be strong 
and courageous and not terrified because God is with us. Amen. Yeah, the Great Commission, Jesus says, I'm with you until the end of the age. And even if you are listening to this and, and you're thinking, well, persecution hasn't really intensified here beyond really just kind of the, the slander and false accusations. Um, but I don't know if I can withstand the kind of persecution that has happened in other countries, that has happened to the early church or various periods of time. Well, know this, that even in the scriptures, uh, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will strengthen us for that time. And, and so, while we may not be able to imagine enduring it now, I, I, I even have a hard time enduring it, um, but it, the Holy Spirit will strengthen you for that time um, to, to be able to endure it and, and even to know what to say. Um, when you are confronted and, and asked to forsake uh, your faith in Christ. Um, the, the other thing I, I wanted to point out, so one was the Holy Spirit is going to strengthen us, but two, I've had certain people that have said to me, one in particular at my church, um, said, you know, I, I wish we could just see God working the way he has in the past. And I said, well, we do. We do. Um, and he's, he was referring to periods like the um, the, the great, um, the great awakening, you know, where you've had revival and stuff like that. You know, the the age of Acts, where you've had thousands of people added to the church and stuff like that. And then I told him, I said, but there's there's always cycles um, up and down, and God works throughout it. Um, he works in bringing people to repentance, but he also works in strengthening his people when persecution comes. And so, don't make the mistake of thinking just because you're not seeing people come in mass and, and just throwing themselves um, at the feet of God in repentance. We certainly hope to see that. But if we don't see that, don't make the mistake of thinking that God is not working. He is with us until the end of the age, and he is working at different times in different ways, but all for his glory and honor. We just need to trust him and follow him. Yeah, amen. And revival always always starts with you. Yeah, I, I, and it always starts in the church, right? Amen. Um, yeah. and, and you see that all throughout the history of revival and God works. And so, you want to see revival? Memorize these passages. Be faithful to pray. Be faithful to study mm -hmm. your Bible. Be faithful in your church. Um, be faithful to not to, to take the opportunities to. Um, speak of the things of Christ and to give the gospel to those who don't know Christ yet. Be faithful in those things, and you'll see revival, um, and it might just be in your own life, but that's God working. And if he's working in your own life, and he does, um, then he'll be working in others around you. You may never see a bar close and everyone showing up to church Wednesday night uh, like there are reports of past times, um, but if you want to see revival, then, you know, it starts with yourself. So right. do those things which God can bless. Uh, if, if you're not faithful, then there's nothing for God to bless. God blesses our faithfulness, right? Um, yep. And so, so be courageous um, as persecution increases here in the West. Um, don't shrink back from truth. Don't let um, Satan, because it is Satan, don't let Satan as it were, steal the gospel from someone through you because you're afraid of persecution. Um, God will still get the gospel to who he wants to get the gospel to, but don't let Satan win the battle over you in those areas. Um, get plugged into a healthy church, and I think, I, I think Scripture and memorizing these verses and being in a solid church community 
I mean, those are the best things that you can do, I think, to prepare yourself for persecution because you know you're not alone. You have a church family no. who's standing with you. You have the word of God that you can constantly replay in your mind because you have it memorized. And then just be faithful. Know that it's coming, right? Get out of the mindset that we don't have persecution in the West because we do and it's going to increase. No. Um, and get out of the mindset that we can win the world because um, Jesus came and the world persecuted him and killed him. And uh, the world has done the same to his followers all throughout history. We will be no different. We may not uh, be, you know, we, we may not be getting executed here in our generation or in the few generations. Um, but uh, going to jail is pretty big persecution. Uh, having a whole community slander you is persecution. And so be faithful in those things. And God is faithful. And um, yeah, and see revival in yourself and in your own church. You want to see revival in your church? Start coming to your church's prayer meeting. Yeah. So Big part of it. Anything else, brother? No, that's good. Uh, Jesus said uh, he can't. Well, the, the book of John said Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. Um, so just expect um, that it's going to be hard. Uh, but to your point, um, we can't have any impact if we're not walking with Christ. Um, put on the full armor of God, and the full armor of God assumes that you're walking faithfully. And when you're walking faithfully, know that the attacks will come, but by the power of God, you can withstand those, those attacks. Amen. So be strong and be courageous. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.